0: Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, we are bringing you news from the Of November 7th, talking about kind of the truth behind recycling. As COP27 is going on as we speak, this is definitely uh, a timely time to be thinking about what this actually means for recycling. Uh, Nick, how's it going? It's going good, George. It's a balmy
1: 77 degrees on this lovely November day. Here, no props, sit (laughs) here. No problems here, which actually feeds into our first story that we're going to be talking about. The environment. And you (laughs) alluded to this in the intro, but nonprofit Greenpeace has released a new report that acknowledges that the gross inefficiencies of recycling make the endeavor nearly futile for combating plastic pollution. So Greenpeace released this new report. It was reported out by the Uh, environmental and science reporting outlet, CRIST. And the report highlights that even when the use of plastics across the world surges, the amount of plastic that's getting recycled has decreased. And this is a symptom of a solution that really has no way to scale up. It turns out that U.S. households generated an estimated 51 million tons of plastic waste in 2021, and only 2.4 out of 51 million tons were recycled. And the reason for this is sorting is really complicated. There's lots of chemical hazards. And by the time the plastic gets downgraded, there's, it has to do with the grade of the plastics, and it's just woefully inefficient. And the, the, the report actually highlights the need for different approaches to minimize plastic waste, like uh, reusable containers and and that sort of thing. Kind of a, a grim outlook. That's something we maybe need to think seriously about. And the report also goes into the greenwashing potentially of the usefulness of recycling. You know, adding those green arrow circular little things on on uh, <laughs> products don't act. It doesn't actually mean what you think it means. And this does come uh, in the backdrop of COP twenty seven, which not related to plastic specifically, but is the annual United Nations-sponsored climate summit in which the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has warned the world is on a highway to climate health set against a backdrop of war and economic crises. And we don't do this, I think, to shock our listeners or to panic our listeners, but I think it's important, George, that we know the scale of the problems we're up against.
0: I think it's... Im- Amazing that Greenpeace is coming out this strongly with this. And also, I think from the marketing angle, companies that produce this plastic obviously, we are pushing this like shame, shame, shame on consumers. Look at them. They, you know, they're only recycling five to 10%. Oh, look, they don't understand the PET ratings of one to three in terms of these recycling arrows that we put out here. It's all their fault. Here's the truth companies are making a profit off of inexpensive packaging and deferring the responsibility to the consumer without even, and also not just the consumer, but municipalities that then have to have wildly expensive and intelligent recycling processing plants so that it can uh, you know never upcycle plastic, but at least recycle plastic back down to it. Mind you, they made margin on that sale. What's more, they can put that smiley greenwashed marketing logo of the chasing arrows that go around in a circle as though this is totally recyclable, totally healthy for the planet. Look at us, we're using the right materials. No, you're not. You're using the right branding materials. There's a fundamental truth that I think has to be washed out of this generation of, as you mentioned, cause washing, of impact washing of marketing narratives versus what is actually happening on the ground. Hold up that mirror. I think this is great. I think there are other pockets of marketing trumping science in many places. And I think it's important to note that doing what we have done, but at a larger scale is simply going to break more things and pushing the responsibility of the true cost of materials
1: and consumerism back to the companies. Yeah, George, I, I, I totally agree. That's a, a good kind of perspective to have on a problem that we haven't figured out how to solve yet. And when economics come into play and, and companies and all sorts of different stakeholders, it becomes a much more complicated problem than I think the overwhelming majority of us are in the loop on. All right, shall I take this into our next story? Yeah, what do we got here? All right, so this is something of a follow-up, but we're going to take a different tack on this. This comes from CNN.com, and the title of this story is With Twitter in Chaos, Mastodon is on Fire. And I don't necessarily think it's helpful to dive into the Twitter drama right now, of which there is a lot, because that is still in developing and a developing news story with an unclear (laughs) end. But we wanted to talk about this new platform, Mastodon, which is a decentralized, non-profit-run social media platform that has seen a surge in users migrating to it since Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. It reported, I think, a 400,000 user increase over the past uh, couple weeks. And it's kind of interesting. It seems that I don't, I haven't been on it yet, but it seems that you have uh, different servers, if you will, that kind of give you different experiences and different types of content. And it's designed to be kind of decentralized and give you the experience uh, you want on those platforms. So uh, George, this is kind of an interesting social media take. And maybe a a nonprofit model is, is this the future of social media? I'm not calling any
0: sort of, Future, one way or the other, but Mastodon's been around for quite some time. I'll say say over a decade, I believe. I've looked at it before in terms of building platform. It's very interesting, and also interesting to note is run by a nonprofit, and so I, I do believe there will be a social layer of communication that will necessarily be run by a nonprofit or one that is not beholden to stakeholders or not trying to productize its users, but rather is for the social common good. And so, you know, Macedon's one option, the fundamental, I won't say problem. The underlying tech there allows you to create private servers, private local networks, and essentially, you know, niche groups on top of niche groups. Think of Slack in that sense of, I can join different Slack groups. I can join my company Slack. I could join my, you know, fill-in-the-blank motivational network Slack. But it is... Pockets of isolation, and so I think you're going to have that. It's already proliferating on platforms like Discord, where you've got independent individual rooms being run that's slightly more centralized. There still I think is a place for the public comment that that large shouting room, but place where information conversation news can be disseminated, and I think it needs to become vastly improved. But, you know, nonprofits like Mastodon have a role to play. And it's also interesting tech uh, to check out as you're considering your, your social media strategies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. 400,000 is no joke. And it seems to me that the people who are speaking loudly about it are people who are speaking loudly on Twitter and have a, maybe a little bit of social media influence. So definitely something to keep an eye on. All right, George, our next story is uh, (laughs) kind of an interesting one. Ashton Kutcher, the celebrity, uh, ran in the New York City Marathon, and he ran to raise money for his charity. The charity is called Thorn, and Thorn works to combat the sexual exploitation of children, uh, both online and offline. And uh, it's a great organization. Uh, Ashton Kutcher actually co-founded this organization and this is something that he spent a lot of time working on and ran in the New York City Marathon, which was yesterday in support of this cause. And a little bit of a, a kind of fun fact is I actually saw Mr. Kutcher <laughs> running in the marathon. He had at a good pace. I could see his splits and his times, uh, getting cheered on by a lot of fans. I did not expect uh to see him until he was directly in front of me. But anyway, a uh, celebrity uh Walk in the walk or run in the run here when it comes to helping uh, really important if not serious causes.
0: Yeah, it's also just you know I love the New York City Marathon. Uh, I I did run it, get to run it one time. It's an incredible event, motivating. I think just fifty thousand people in this in this last running, which is amazing. But also maybe equally as uh, amazing in twenty twenty one, according to news reports from ABC, the. Marathon last year, the charity partner program raised forty-seven point eight million dollars. So it's pretty impressive when you get into the uh, peer-to-peer fundraising power of of this event, and is an incredible model of how you know the New York City Marathon. Also, by the way, run by NYRCC, RCC, New York Roadrunner Club, which is an, also a nonprofit, is in effect raising money
1: for other organizations and. Uh, a, yeah, you know, special time of year. Absolutely. It's like a holiday in New York City. It truly is. It, is, it is special to be a part of. Amazing to hear about the impact that it has for nonprofits. All right. Our next story comes from CNBC, and this is about election officials facing armed militia presence at some polls. So it doesn't get much more complicated than that, other than some armed militia groups uh, seemingly far right ones, appear to be showing up at polling locations, looking all intimidating in military regalia, some with guns. It seems that a judge has ordered that they can't be X distance from polls or drop boxes or whatever. This isn't great. This seems like a problem. And maybe it's less of a problem than the media makes it out to be. I don't know how many instances of this happening there are. It seems like it is somewhat isolated, but uh, not great.
0: Yeah, they're being required to stay with uh, at least 75 feet away from drop boxes. Not far enough by, uh, in my opinion, at all. You know, you should have to stand as far as a bullet can fly away. If you've been given deadly arms and weapons and are allowed to walk around with them, that's how far away you should stay if we're talking about safety. I don't think 75 feet cuts it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, look, I'm. I am praying to whatever it is I believe in at this point for the protection of uh, voters and voting officials, voting volunteers that are working tireless, tirelessly right now across the country. Uh, I'm hoping that you know the, the window of certification and validation of votes isn't overrun with, frankly, misinformation, disinformation pushed onto platforms that we just discussed. And these are very uh, these are high danger periods of time uh, for uh, for the country for the voting systems and nonprofits are intimately involved on the ground and in that way for voter engagement. I was lucky enough to talk with the voter engagement project on our if you're listening to this podcast for last week's conversation. And with the Voter Empowerment Project, the larger view of how you support these CBOs, community-based organizations, CBOs working year round, not just one and done, but year round on what it really looks like to to build the democratic voting muscle, the access to the voice in our political process. And I think it's, you know, I signed up. I haven't been called in yet, but I signed up because I was, you know of firm belief that you know this happens every two years, but the work should be ongoing. And so again, pat on the back, bravo, well done. Thank you to everyone uh, working to make voting safe and
1: accessible right
0: now in our country.
1: George, that's really well said. And I won't try to add any more to that. And I totally agree. All righty. Do you have feel good? Do I have a feel good? Uh, yes, this comes from yourarlington.com, and it is uh, Arlington, Massachusetts, I might add. But this is about a 200-foot sub to benefit a food rescue nonprofit. So <laughs> the, the title of this is The ven- Venerable Delicatessen in Arlington Heights, at D'Agostino's. Is planning to build what the owner says will be New England's largest sub, a 200 foot Italian sandwich. Apparently, it contains $2,500 worth of donated ingredients. It is going to teachers and the school district. And proceeds from this sandwich are going to benefit a uh, food waste and redistribution nonprofit called Food Link. The event is set for 10 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, Pierce Fields behind Arlington High School in Arlington, Massachusetts, and uh, it's going to be the largest sub in Massachusetts, which is cool. George, what do you call what do you call a sandwich that's two hundred feet long? This is a regional thing. Uh, I don't know, a hoagie or like a hoagie. Where, where's that? That's that Philly talking. Yeah, I. I don't know. I just
0: don't understand what 75 pounds of salami and 30 pounds of provolone turns into. Uh, I think this is a great marketing uh, activity, right? Like, look, here's when you get into cause marketing, cause partnerships with companies, you're like, great. Build a great sandwich, charge a thing. They get a lot of exposure and news coverage, right? Like, look, they're they're obviously donating the time. They have like $2,500 of ingredients here but it's $2,500 in marketing. We're talking about it. The venerable yourarlington.com is talking about it. It's going to be a good event, but they're going to be raising awareness for food insecurity. Uh, I couldn't think of a funny pun for a (laughs) 200-foot sub, though. Yeah. I do, however, have a question for you, Nick. Oh, no. Yeah. uh, Why did the SpaceX money for Mars matching corporate gift program fail
1: why did their matching gift program fail wrong atmosphere wrong atmosphere ah uh, wrong atmosphere it's all about it's all about the vibes huh In this case, well, atmosphere.
0: yeah yeah uh well you made it to the end of the podcast congratulations please leave us a rating review and don't forget to vote see you out there thanks nick thanks george